growing up, um, you know, I think about kids and things they do. And, and you know, my, I've got three sons they are all graduating from different levels this year. And it's like, you know, you go back to those days and you remember what it's like as a child to hold a little child. And, um, you know, sometimes I sit there and think about what that, what that feels like. And, um, you know, there's times maybe in my life where maybe I act a little immature. And, and then my wife says, you need to grow up. And then you stand there like speechless. Well, it's hard to say something when you got 45 gummy bears in your mouth. I mean, so just kidding. It was 42. Actually, that would happen. But, okay, it never happened. Okay. Um, but there's times in your life when maybe you act out, you do things, and you feel a little childish for maybe how you behaved or, or what you said or what you did. And, and, and if somebody else isn't telling you to grow up, you almost look in the mirror and you want to say, man, I need to grow up, right? And spiritually, it's sort of the same way. We have moments in our lives when it's like, I just I want to grow up. And, and I, but I look back, I'm like, being a kid was fun. Think of all the games we played, skip bow, uno, Dutch blitz, ski ball, uh, you know, hide and seek, you know, and some of you, some of you the older adults are like, yep, yep. And some of the young kids are like, huh? Uh, you didn't mention four square. We didn't have, listen, we, back then we didn't have four square. We had like three. We couldn't afford four square, so we had three square. Okay, that was a poor joke, I know. But so we had, we had other games we played, Monopoly, um, Candyland. Okay, and here's, here's a confession. In our house, we got a lot of these games. We have a game called Exploding Cats and Throw Throw Burrito. Anybody ever play that game before? It doesn't sound as violent as what it is, okay? It's a card game. It's a lot of fun. And uh, the Throw Throw Burritos with a stuffed burrito and it's another card. It's a lot of fun, right? But we still, even with new games that come out, we revert back to old games. We still pull out Trouble and Candyland. You guys remember Candyland? It's, it's been around like forever, and they keep updating it, right? And let me remind you of some of the wonderful places in Candyland. Gumdrop Mountain, Chocolate Falls, Peppermint Forest, Lollipop Lane. Sounds fun, sounds sweet, right? And here's the thing, I love those games, but as I get older, I, we, we put away childish things, right? But I still feel my life is sometimes like this. I just rename it, right? It's just it's a new thing. For me now, it's like Temptation Taffy, Injury Island, you know, Lonely Lollipop, Perseverance Land, which I feel like I'm still going through on a consistent basis. See, what, what, what we face as children, we still face as adults. There's, you sort of graduate a little bit as a child. I was impatient waiting for Christmas. I'd like to sit underneath the Christmas tree or lay underneath the Christmas tree and just look up at it, right? It's like, ah. Oh. But as I get older, I'm still impatient with certain things. Temptations that I had as a kid, I don't have the same ones, but I still have temptation in my life today. Selfishness, was I selfish at child as a kid? I would say not because I was sort of perfect, but um, okay, I was selfish and I was a liar, okay? But here's the thing. Um, did I deal with worry and doubt? Yeah, I worried a lot. And I still struggle with worry even every now and then today. The things of a child I want to really put aside and put away and I want to grow up, but yet it's hard at times to do that. And I was thinking, you know, over the next few weeks before, we're going to get into a new sermon series in a couple weeks, and I'm, I'm going to take the next few weeks, just talk about some, some graduate lessons as Christians to help us grow in our faith and to not sort of put away some childish things, but to, to grow and, and mature in our faith. And uh, so open up your Bibles to Psalm 59. And I want to start with a passage that I actually touched on two years ago. It was almost two years ago to this Sunday. We reopened the church after covid and we're like, come on back. 
And during that message, I mentioned Psalm 59, and I shared just a little bit about it briefly, and I'm going to hit on it again. But I want to give it a little bit more attention today. Because this psalm came back to me recently as I was studying, it's like it had a whole new meaning than what it did two years ago. The backdrop for the psalm comes from 1 Samuel chapter 18. You don't have to turn there. You can stay in Psalm 59. 1 Samuel chapter 18, give you the background. David, shepherd boy, defeats Goliath, becomes you know, a national hero, starts becoming like a commander and a fighter in the army, you know, and he's, he's, he's pulled up into position and promoted. King Saul gets very jealous because he's like, man, you're, you're winning all these battles. I'm just being a king. And everybody loves David. Saul's getting jealous. So as you read in 1 Samuel chapter 18, Saul was jealous enough that he was fearful of David that he made an attempt on David's life. He tried to kill him. Oh, by the way, not just once. 1811, 1817, 1821, 1919, 1911 through 17, plus a couple more. Over seven attempts on David's life. Saul had it out for David. David's being pursued. His life is about ready to be snuffed out by the king. 1 Samuel chapter 19, it says this. Saul sent troops to watch David's house. They were told to kill David when he came out the next morning. But David's wife warned him. She found out. If you don't escape tonight, you'll be dead by morning. So she helped him climb out this back window of the house. We don't know if it's into an alley or outside the city walls. But he escaped. And then she took an idol. She put it in the bed. She covered it with a blanket. Put some goat's hair on the end. It made it look like, you know, like, oh, he's in there sleeping, right? Guards came in. Hey, we're here to get David. Oh, he doesn't feel well. He's still sleeping. All right. They took off. It worked, right? Went back to the palace. They tell Saul. Saul's like, what? Go back. Get David. Kill him. They go back and find out he's gone, right? Now, right after all that happens, David sits down and writes Psalm 59. That's the backdrop to the story. So let's read in verse 1. Rescue me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who have come to destroy me. Rescue me from these criminals. Save me from these murderers. Rescue me, protect me, rescue me, save me. Do those sound like the words of somebody that's maybe a little distraught? Maybe? A little, right? Rescue me from who? He doesn't come out and mention who it is that he's being chased after. He doesn't mention who's trying to take his life. He doesn't need to because he is praying to an omniscient and all-knowing God. He's praying to an an omnipresent and and an all-present God. He sees all. He knows all. So God doesn't have to say, hey, uh, or David doesn't have to say to God, hey, hey God, this is this name. And this." he doesn't have to do that because He knows God knows. And in that moment, he's just praying, right? He's writing all this down. He's calling it all out to God. And I think in our moments, in our times, when we have those moments when we want to pray, and it's like, I really want to go into detail, but God, right now, it's a rescue me, save me prayer. And I know you know what's going on, and I just need to pray that. And he prays that. And then we think about what I said last week. Last week, we talked about how we belong to God. John 1, 12, 1 Corinthians 6, 20, remind us of the truth that we are God's children when we, when we receive him into our life, when we pray, we become his children, right? And then it's we belong to him. And so like this prayer is sort of one of those things like, hey, God, your property, I belong to you, your property is in danger. Will you protect the property, please? For all of you homeowners or you own anything of any value, even your own family, You want to protect them, right? Because they belong to you. 
They're, they, and so it's like, I'm going to protect them. And, and so David's like saying, God, I belong to you. Protect me. Protect me. Help me out. Look at verse 3. He goes on to say, they've set an ambush for me. Fierce enemies are out there waiting. Lord, though I have not sinned or offended them, I've done nothing wrong. Yet they prepare to attack me. Wake up. See what's happening and help me. Oh, Lord God of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, wake up and punish those hostile nations. Show no mercy to wicked traitors. Here's David, a successful man of God. And he feels what? Abandoned and neglected. I mean, even the greatest, doesn't matter how spiritual you are, how you know, prominent you are. He's like, I feel alone. I feel dejected. And, and, and did you see what he wrote? Wake up, God. When's the last time any of you prayed that prayer? Okay. I think a lot of us are like, if I, if I pray that prayer, I might get struck by lightning, right? It's like, wake up, God. But see, that's how he feels. A lot of times the prayers we read are a reflection of what's going on emotionally. He feels alone. He feels like God is sleeping on him. God, you must not be paying attention. I've got an issue here. Wake up. And, and he's waiting, you know, for God. But here's the next thing you see, though. As a warrior, David, as an officer, as a, a general of an army, so to say, he calls to God using a couple personal names here. The first one is he calls out, it goes Yahweh, Elohim Sabah. And that name is the God of hosts, refers to the armies, not just of Israel, but the heavenly hosts who go beyond the gates of heaven. If you can imagine in heaven and seeing this grand army of angels, who's the commander of them? God. So he calls out using God's personal name as the commander of an army. And then he says, Elohim Israel, which is the God of Israel. And that refers to God having an eternal lasting covenant with a nation. Like I got a relationship with you, a covenant that's been made that will not be broken. And David says to the God who has an eternal covenant, I'm calling on you as well. So he uses these personal names as he calls out to God. But then... After that, he describes a little bit more to God, like, okay, I'm calling on you because this is how it feels. Check it out in verse six. He says this, they, referring to the enemy, comes out at night, snarling like vicious dogs as they prowl the streets. Listen to the filth that comes from their mouths, their words cut like swords. After all, who can hear us, they sneer. Fast forward to verse 14. He says, my enemies come out at night, snarling like vicious dogs as they prowl the streets. They scavenge for food, but go to sleep unsatisfied. So he repeats himself here. And usually when it's a repeat, it's an emphasis. Like, did you hear me the first time? Let me repeat it the second time. How much is this? Now, in this time, generally speaking, historically in this time in the eastern cities, dogs roamed around not as pets, but as scavengers, looking for food, looking for the garbage dumps, anything they could find. And they would move around at night. You'd hear them barking and howling. And they would run through the streets and the alleys. Very few people had dogs as pets. Today, we got a lot of pet people out here, right? Me, I grew up on a farm, had pets. Now I don't. It's okay. I don't have to have one. Everybody else has one. That's cool, okay? But here's the deal. And I, I shared this story with you a couple years ago when, I, when we were in the scripture about how Jenny and I were going for a walk. Because we're going for a walk. We walked by a house, they had their dog out, unleashed, and it attacked us. Got in between the dog uh, and Jenny, and basically, by the time the owner finally got the dog separated and out and leashed up, 
bloody elbow, arm, knees, legs, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we get home, clean all up. But here's the deal, and I shared this with you as a church. I said, every time we go walking now, when we walk by that house, we walk on the other side of the road. You know, I was like, I'll walk here. Then it's like, okay, I'll walk over here with you. If the dog's out, you know, it's like, there's still a fence. Might be on a leash. Doesn't matter anymore. Just a couple weeks ago, we stopped by a friend's house here in church, dropped something off. We get out of the car, and their dog comes running out, just barking and growling. And so I just stopped and stood there. Jenny got back in the car. And they said, oh, the, the bark is, is it's just all, it just sounds scary. Kind as can be, right? You know, it's, you, you, some of you use that same phrase with your dog. Well, never harm a flea. You know, it's got 20 of them on him right now, right? Okay, never harm a flea, right? And it's like, I know. But because that bark reminded me of when I was attacked, my emotions swell up. I'm okay staying behind here until you have it, you know, your dog under control. And I know it's, I know it's nice, but the dog I experienced was not nice. Jenny gets back in the car and she's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm all cool until the you know, dog's under control, right? It's amazing, <clears throat> excuse me. It's amazing that in those moments, it doesn't matter how nice or mean a dog, the emotion is triggered. Y'all following what I'm saying? That's all it takes. And that's exactly what the spiritual enemy does. That's what the devil loves to do. He barks, he growls his teeth, and he whispers a little something into your ear maybe. And it's enough to set your emotions off as did with David. You know, we tense up. Like, whew. I know it's coming away, but check out what David does. Look at verse eight. But Lord, you laugh at them. You scoff at the hostile nations. Like David recognizes the proclaims, God's bigger than my fears. God's greater than my enemies. If, listen, if they are no threat to God, they should be no threat to me, right? That's what David's saying here. So his tone changes and he goes on to say in verse nine, you are my strength. I wait for you to rescue me for you, O God, are my fortress. In your in his unfailing love, my God will stand with me. He will let me look down and triumph on my enemies. It's like, he's like, God, you're my fortress. God, you are my fence to protect me from the dogs, right? God, you are standing with me. Do you see how his tone changes as he writes this psalm? These are proclamations. This is when you have confidence in God. This is when you realize, you know what? My God is big. My God is strong. It's worth proclaiming. And I, and I know as I started writing this, God, I poured out my heart to you. This is how I'm feeling. But as I share with you, I feel like I'm getting stronger now. As I'm thinking about this, when life barks at me, and when it seems like life is almost too challenging to take on, I gotta trust God. I have to choose to trust God. When I experience temptation taffy or injury island or perseverance land or whatever it may be, right? I call out to God and, and then I pray. And that's my challenge for you as well, church. And I want to pause now. And I want to share with you three stories from three individuals in our church. And, and these three stories, I've, I've contacted each of them and said, can I share this about you? Yes, can I share? Okay, and I've, so I'm going to share three stories. But why share these stories? Because I just shared with you scripture. God's word. This is where we find our foundation. And I believe these three people, knowing God's word, having a relationship with God, it's like, well, Rex, how do I put into practice what you're just talking about? Let me share these three stories with you. 
I'll start with the shorter and I'll get longer as I go. First story of a person who inspired me is Chris Garcia. Many of, many of you know uh, Chris. And it was just not even, I mean, a year ago today, he was running around. He was fine. And, and I think it was maybe late fall when all of a sudden everything in his body changed. And he can move. And now he's in a wheelchair. And he needs help doing everything. And he is slowly, piece by piece, getting strength to do things in his life. And when I first talked to him when he was in the hospital, I was just like, hey, what's going on? How you holding up? You know, and you try to come up with the right questions because it's, right? And he's like, God's good. God is so good to me. And, you know, when you hear somebody say that, you're, you're sitting there thinking, you're just saying that because you're talking to the pastor. I get it, right? No, not with Chris. Chris is like, no. Um, I'm finding joy in my life. I'm laying in a hospital bed. I'm finding joy. I'm going to be in a wheelchair, but I'm finding joy. And, and, I'm, and I'm able to share this with all my nurses and the doctors. And, and I'm sitting there, I'm thinking like, like David, he has placed his trust in an unfailing love of God. So Chris has inspired me. And then recently, God brought another person in my life, somebody I, I just met. And, and here's the thing. I, I don't know her like I know Chris. Okay, her name is Rhonda Lovejoy. Now, Rhonda has family that, that's been attending here recently as well. Her brother Rodney, uh, as well as his sister Renee and brother-in-law David Lovejoy. You know, they've, they've been attending our church recently. And, and when you fill out church, see, when you fill out a visitor card and you put your name and information, we, we try to con- connect with you. And like, hey, do you have any questions about our church? Hey, we'd love you to come to our new folks launch. We'd like to get to know you. Um, if you have any questions about us, ask. And, you know, we, we try to connect. Sometimes it's hard, right? Well, I emailed Rhonda and I thanked her for coming and she said uh, something that really inspired me. So I reached back out to her. I said, Rhonda, can I please share this with the church? And, and, and she goes, yeah, absolutely, feel free. So I want to share with you our correspondence, what she shared with me. She said this. Well, first of all, understand this about her. Her husband, John, they were married for 34 years. He just passed away Thanksgiving weekend of this past year, Okay. So keep that in mind. Married 34 years, her husband passes away, and it took Rhonda some strength to be able to come to church. Some of you understand what that means, right? She said this, I thought I could just show up here on my own, but I had a rough morning and was totally hurting that day. These times just seemed to hit me out of the blue. But I knew I had to just go worship with friends and family, a God that's been with me and my family through all the ups and downs. Make sure you hear this next sentence that she wrote. Just because I'm sad doesn't mean that God does not deserve my praise. Let me read that again. Just because I'm sad doesn't mean that God does not deserve my praise. He's never left my side, and I can only give him praise in my storms for all he has done. His ways have definitely not been my ways. But I can rejoice in knowing that he has it all in his hands. Wow, when, when Rhonda sent me that message, like I said, again, I, I was humbled by what she said. I was inspired by what she said. I was like, can I please share that with the church? And she goes, yes. And she's, she's praying that hopefully that encourages somebody here today. And then finally, third person, and this person I was speaking with, and, and I'm gonna share a little bit more about this person and, and her family doesn't know what's gonna be said because that was between uh, between me and her and what I was going to share. Uh, but 
she's here today. Her name is Allie Herman. Um, Allie, do you got enough strength? Do you want to stand uh, or you want to just wave so everybody knows where you're at? If you don't want to stand, you don't need to. Okay. Thank you, Allie. So you know where Allie is. Okay. In the middle of October 2018, um, Allie's in volleyball season. Complained about her knee being achy and sore. Uh, basketball season started. It was still bothering her. Uh, so their family took her to the family doctor to be checked out. And I'm not going to miss a lot of details here, but I'll try to get the best I can. X-ray, MRI, um, they put her on crutches, treat as a fracture. On Thanksgiving, though, the, the pain uh, was very severe. She went to the ER, and, uh, and the pain got worse. So they sent her to a specialist in Columbus, and knowing that this wasn't a typical fracture, they did a, a biopsy on her knee, and it confirmed their worst fear. Allie was diagnosed with osteosarcoma, which is a form of bone cancer, and, and it was spreading. Now, that kind of news is heartbreaking uh, for parents and, and, and horrific. Um, they shared they have an amazing team of doctors, um, Nationwide Children's Hospital, and this family began a very long, scary, hard path. Now, fast forward a few years to where we are. Beginning of January, they learned that the chemo that Allie had been getting was no longer working. So a new plan was put in place to the doctors, which included oral chemo with radiation. Uh, Allie finished radiation treatments uh, that were targeting the main spot that was causing her pain. Uh, unfortunately, she still has pain. She has shortness of breath. And the family is doing all that they can uh, to manage her pain and, and help her out. They have found positives in life, as she's mentioned on, on their team page um, about getting her hair back was a positive, and they're trying to find joy in the little things. Now, I knew all this from a distance, uh, from, from reading and talking to Allie and, and, and the Powers family. As we announced at church a couple years ago, we, uh, the Powers family helped uh, spearhead a benefit in Fayette. Many of you were a part of that. Uh, many of you were praying from day one. Um, what I love seeing was throughout the, the years, the, the, the sport teams, FCA, National Honor Society, a lot of school programs rallied around, and you almost felt like there, at every ball game there was going to be a moment of, of silence or prayer or something to, to let's, let's help Allie out, right? Um, and Allie and her family have been coming. Uh, they, they visited our church a few years ago and, and came, then COVID hit, and then, you know, depending on her health and protecting her and, and how she felt, you know, whether or not they would come. Um, she was involved in a, a small group of girls um, here at the church. Um, but last week, uh, I'm going to change gears here. Last week uh, was a challenging week. Now, like many of you, frustrations, things in your life sort of pile up, and uh, you almost get knee-deep in what's going on in your life, and your emotions become very uh, volatile, volatile and, and moments where you're just like, I'm just going to blow up, or I don't know what I'm going to do. So here's the thing. I decided I was going to have a pity party. Okay, So I, I threw myself a pity party, but here's the frustration. None of you showed up. Did you not get my, my invitations? I, I sent one out. I thought maybe you guys would all show up at my pity party. Nobody showed up. And um, I don't know. Like Jacob... Uh, I had some, some moments where I was wrestling with God. And I don't know, Thursday, Friday, what it was a few weeks ago. Um, in my wrestling with God, did you, did you guys know that when you wrestle with God, you don't win? I just don't know if you knew that or not, but I'll tell you now. Um, I knew my heart needed to be right with God before I stood up here and, and preached. And um, 
I knew I needed to, like David, proclaim that God is awesome, that God is faithful, and that God is full of love. I knew all that. But see, there's times I can be childish and I don't want to tell God that I trust him. That's that part of being childish. That's why I say I want to grow up. I want to, I want to mature my faith, right? And I know God is awesome. I know God is great. But I, I just want to be right once. I want to be, oh, God, can I please have my feelings, right? So last Sunday morning, Allie and her mom were here in church. And uh, I stood in the back singing, and it was the second song of the three songs said, I can't remember, it was Faithful God, uh, God, the goodness of God, I can't remember the exact words, but I don't know why, but I looked over at Allie, and um, it was really special. Allie, you were, you were like this, and you were just singing. She looked like a teenage girl in love with a teenage boy. It was that kind of emotion that you could feel, you could see it. She was expressing love to God as she was singing. And, um, and I felt like God was saying, Rex, do you see Allie? I love her. And she loves me. And she's had a very hard path on this earth. And yet, she's singing to me. So Rex... Do you still want to throw your pity party? Because you're having a bad week, a challenging month, a, a season of whatever. If Allie and her pain can still love me, how about you, Rex? That was my moment before I preached last Sunday. And I was humbled by her worship. I was inspired by her worship. She's just a teenage girl with cancer. She's not perfect. I'm sure she's had doubts and fears and questions for God. I'm sure she has. But she's still worshiping him. She's still worshiping him. So knowing her dad, Kent, I reached out to Kent and said, is it okay if I reach out to Allie and ask her some questions? And I wasn't sure, you know, so I asked for permission. And he was like, yeah, yeah, gave me her number. And so I, I called Allie and uh, we talked. And um, I just wanted to share with Allie how awesome it was to see her worship God and how it inspired me. And she shared with me that she remembered a long time ago going to a camp in Fayette uh, across from the school where she prayed and, and uh, asked Christ into her life. And she said she'll never forget that feeling. And it was the same feeling she had when she worshiped last week. I thought, that's awesome. She told me she feels like cancer has brought her closer to God because she knows cancer is not from God. And it's hard to talk to people when you're going through tough times, and, right? So I appreciate what she put on her uh, Facebook Team Alley page um, about how to talk to people or what to write to people when they have cancer. And it's like sometimes the, the biggest mistake we do is nothing at all because we don't know what to say because we don't want to screw it up. And uh, you can probably find it on there. I can send this to you. But I thought it was, this was really encouraging with what she shared. So I was sort of trying to take a cue from that because I asked her, I said, hey, can I have a picture of you to put up on the screen? Because I didn't know how she would be feeling today, if she would make it today or not. But she made it today, and I'm thankful you're here. But she sent me a picture of her, and, and I'll put that up on the screen with her and her brother. Big brothers are important. And uh, this is a trip down to Florida recently. And I asked her, hey, what was your favorite part of that trip? And she wasn't sure because she really enjoyed all of it. But then she said this. 
She said, uh, my mom just said earlier in the day we were looking for a place that you could get boat rides and you can pay to go see dolphins. Well, before she made any reservations to do that, we went down to the beach. And I love this. I'm, I'm going to go word for word on what you said here. I kid you not, we set down our things and we saw a pot of dolphins no more than 50 feet off the beach. I think God sent those there. I think he was trying to tell me not to worry about crazy things and just enjoy Florida as much as I could. I agree with you, Allie, 100%. By the way, when I call students, and even some adults, but usually when I, when I call a teenager for anything, 95% of the time I get their voicemail. 85% of the time their voicemail's not set up, okay? <laughs> and so usually I send them a text, and then within a minute or two I get a response back. Um, but when I, when I called Allie, she answered right away. And it was, it was sort of weird. She goes, your name came up. My dad said, you might call. And when my phone rang, your name popped up. Here's the thing. I've never called her before. She's never called me before. I didn't have her number. She didn't have my number. And yet it's like my name came up. And so that was sort of weird. So I don't know if it was your dad's phone or something. Some numbers got trained. We don't know. But it was almost like this was supposed to happen, right? For Kent and Amy and other parents that are, that are out there dealing with challenging times, here's the thing. I find hope in the truth that God loves your kids more than, than you do. Pastor Kyle Adelman shared about when he was skiing with his son and his son wiped out on the hill and he was like doing everything he could to get to his son to help him. And I'm sitting there going, oh, I've been through that. You know, with three sons, many injuries, you'll do anything to help your kids. PT, Band-Aids, uh, I'll miss work appointments to take them wherever they need to be. I'll stay up late at night. You'll do anything for your child because you love them. And then, but here's the, here's the amazing thing. God loves your kids more than you do. And that, that, that blows me away because I read that throughout the Bible, but, but here's the thing. My love is limited. God's love is not. My love is impure. God's love is pure. And all I want is for my kids to be healthy. You guys understand that? We all do. And then, so here's the thing. I, I sit there and I, here's, where I, here's my wrestling. Okay, here's my wrestling. If God loves my kids more than me, and I want them healed, why aren't you healing them, God? Am I the only one that's ever wrestled with that? I'm going to guess not. I'm tempted to blame God. And, and in my eyes, I'm tempted to react in a certain way. But then I have to remember, his ways are better than my ways. His thoughts are greater than my thoughts. His plans are beyond my understanding. And I have to trust him. Church, that's why I wanted to read Psalm 59 to you today. Because Psalm 59, after David's life has been attempted to be murdered seven times plus, don't you think he's probably asking these questions? God, you love me? Then why am I being attacked? Let's look at this last verse and we'll wrap up the sermon. Verses 16 and 17 say this, but as for me, I will sing about your power. Each morning I will sing with joy about your unfailing love for you've been my refuge, a place of safety when I am in distress. But as for me, four key words, but as for me. See, I'm tempted to act in a certain way. I'm tempted to be selfish. I'm tempted to be childish and I know what, I know what others do and I know what I should do, 
but I don't know if I can. And David's like, hey, but ask for me. But ask for me, I'll sing. Maybe I don't agree with where things are in my life right now, but as for me, I will sing. Surrounded by soldiers, hitmen, my life is about ready to be taken. I'm sitting at home wondering how many knives are going to be slashing me. And I'm crying out, rescue me, save me, protect me, rescue me. Desperate phrases, right? But in verse 16 and 17, he wraps this psalm up as saying, but as for me, I'll sing to you, God. Because you are God. You've demonstrated in the past. When, when I had to face a lion and a bear and a nine-foot Goliath, and you gave me victory. When I had to face the ridicule from my brothers, when people made fun of me, when Saul attempted to kill me. God, you rescued me every time. I do not want to go through those things in my life, but I'm going to trust you. So but as for me, but as for me, but as for me, I will sing. I will sing. Last week, like I said, when I'm standing back there and I see Allie and she's singing, I'm sitting there thinking, what about me? But as for me, I want to sing too. Would you stand, please? Worship team, would you come forward, please? Church, I wonder sometimes how I can sing, but I know this. God loves you more than anybody else will ever love you. His love may not be demonstrated in, in good health or riches or excellent emotions, but I know this. Chris is bound in a wheelchair, but Chris is singing. Rhonda, she's surrounded by sorrow and loneliness, but she is singing. Allie, she's riddled with cancer, but she is singing. This morning I knew, you know, sometimes it's like, God, am I supposed to preach on this? And then you sort of get that little affirmation. This morning I get a text from my cousin and he's a pastor and he, there's a group of pastors. He'll just, he always sends out just like one sentence and then a verse. And this was his sentence to me this morning and the verse. In our places today, all caps, sing. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm supposed to preach on this. Jeremiah 20, 13, sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Church, our God's alive. He loves you. You choose how you're going to grow up in your life. As for me, I'm going to sing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, that you are an awesome God and we don't understand why we go through things in life. We don't. I don't understand why we need to have hospitals and wheelchairs why we have to have sorrowful moments and challenges in our life. I, I don't, but I know one day, one day there'll be no more sorrow, no more tears. One day. Until that day, right now, God, I, help me to sing. Help me to sing to you because you deserve it all. You really do. Thank you for loving us. We sing to you now, Lord. In our name we pray, amen.